Welcome to No Heart Left Behind's Hope in the Heart of Family Life podcast. I'm your host and executive director of No Heart Left Behind, Alicia Stickles. If we're honest, family life can be hard. Family can be our greatest blessing, but also the source of our deepest wounds. At No Heart Left Behind, we have a passion to empower families to thrive with the Word of God and the love of Christ. So each week, we're going to have real conversations about hard issues facing families today. It is our hope that you would be equipped with practical tools based on biblical principles for when life happens and relationships get messy. In other words, how do we flesh out all those Bible verses we know when life isn't looking like we had hoped? If you're in a season of family life that feels hopeless or you have a heart to navigate the challenges of family well, but just don't know how, you're in the right spot. So whether you are driving in your car or checking off one of your honeydews, pop in those earbuds and come find hope in the heart of family life with us. Hey friends, welcome back to another episode of No Heart Left Behind's Hope in the Heart of Family Life. My name is Alicia Stickles. Uh, I am the executive director and your host um, for today's episode. And everybody knows that normally in my closet here, um, I am joined by our founder, lead belief therapist, and my mother, Abby Shields. But today, my closet is not that big, so <laughs> there's only room for one. And so today, I have another friend of the ministry. Her name is Sarah Stogner. She is a LCSW, and we work hand-in-hand with her quite a bit. We do a lot of referrals. She's just awesome. She loves Jesus. She is really good at her job, which we really like. Um, and so I've asked her uh, to come in today and talk to us about um, supporting kids with anxiety. So thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. Um, so before we jump into our topic, which I know is such a huge topic for that affects families in so many different ways, um, today specifically, we're going to be focusing on supporting a child with um, that suffers from anxiety because I know as parents it can be like you feel helpless and you want to do the right thing but you don't even know what to do and your kid is just freaking out and all that um but so we want to get to know you first before we d- jump okay. into <laughs> all of that so just tell us a little bit about your background like where you went to school what drew you to counseling that kind of thing gotcha so um I did my undergraduate work at Baylor University in Texas, go Bears, and um, was there for four years and then worked at the Methodist Children's Home in Waco for two two years after graduation and then um, went to University of Texas in Austin for my master's in social work. And so um, after I completed um, at UT, the way that you... um, Alicia and I were just joking or talking about the letters behind my name, the LCSW. When you graduate from graduate school, you have an LMSW. And so that just means you're um, licensed and a master's level. But then you have to be under supervision and be practicing clinical work in the like in the business for um, for a minimum of 3000 hours. And then um, you're under supervision weekly for um, 100 hours with your supervisor. So, um, so did all of that. And um, that period of time was actually working with a company based out of Tennessee, but they did in-home counseling. So um, these are the really um, 
were like the really difficult kids that um, they wanted to not have to send them away to like residential treatment, but they wanted to basically teach parents to be mental health workers in their home kind wow. of thing. Yeah. So <laughs> That's intense. Yes. So I got to go into these kids' homes like um, sometimes three times a week um, and actually work hand in hand with the families um, and just... I don't know. I've always been super passionate about just families and and seeing how they work when they're broken and how much better they work when they're, you know, there's some healing that happens. Um, So um, I really have just always been passionate about it um, through mission trips um, with my church when I was growing up. Just really also just gave me a passion for, um, you know, that God is our healer, you yeah. know, and he is the one that, um, that creates the healing. But if we can be the hands and feet here, like I'm all about that. Like, yeah. that's what I want to do. And so whenever I started in, um, social work, I really felt like it was a calling, you know, it just like, you know, my husband's been in full-time ministry, um, as a worship pastor. Um, I felt I was called into the ministry of doing what I do, but in the secular world yes. kind of, mm-hmm. um, <clears throat> while he was in the, in the, the, um, you know, getting paid in the ministry to do right. what he does. So, um, so it, it really is just amazing that that has kind of worked hand in hand. So you've pretty much known since you were young that this was the field that you wanted to go into. Yeah, I, I think I'm a unicorn in that I talked to so many kids that, you know, have no idea what they wanted to be when they grow up or what they want to do. And But yes, I knew at a very young age, and I feel like that um, I was just made to do this. I feel like God planted it in my heart, gave me a love for people and a fascination with just how the brain works Mm -hmm. and how, um, you know, he he would be able to use that passion to help others just kind of navigate life. Really, Just being so like just having started my first semester of school, like. I am so fascinated with the brain and how it works. And it's explaining a lot for me. But (laughs) like I'm reading through our first book, The Anatomy of the Soul, but I think it's Kurt Thompson. And I am just like, oh, my gosh, like learning how the brain works and how that all fits into our our faith and all that kind of stuff. Okay, so I have like some this or that questions for you because we've gotten to know professional Sarah. I would like to get to know you know, regular Sarah, whatever. (laughs) The real you. Okay. So I'm going to ask you, uh, I'm going to give you two options and it's a this or that. So you got to pick one, even if it's a force, I guess you don't have to pick it if it's not you at all. Okay. First one, dog or cat? Dog. Um, Netflix or YouTube? Netflix. Um, cardio or weights? Cardio. Um, let's see. While walking music or podcasts? music i am too (laughs) um an ios or android ios ios yeah okay um what's worse laundry or dishes dishes (laughs) (laughs) i hate laundry i hate them both Uh, that's true i had to pick one that's (laughs) true okay um most important in a spouse smart or funny funny Uh uh-huh um high tech or low tech Oh, I'm very low tech. Yes. I was still caught on the husband thing. I was like, he's high tech, but I'm very low tech. (laughs) Um, TV or book? Probably TV. TV, me too. 
I like to think books because that uh, makes me sound smarter, <laughs> but I am usually just like, let's Brain go. Brain dead and yes. Yes, uh, I know. Um, maybe it's part of being a counselor. <laughs> um, last one, coffee or tea? Coffee yes. all day, every day. 100%. <laughs> I feel like you can't be a counselor unless you like coffee. No. no, in fact, at the No Heart Left Behind office, I'm the one that brought the Keurig. Oh. <laughs> so, yeah. That's awesome. Okay, so I really do want to jump in um, because I know there are so many families out there that are struggling. And like I said, today we're really looking at, um, you know, kids with anxiety. And of course, we're going to obviously touch on what's going, I mean, we talked about the brain, like what's going on in their brain. And man, I've heard you talk on this before. And just having that understanding of what's going on in their brain really helps me as a parent to relax. Not that I think any of my kids have anxiety yet, but it (laughs) it made me understand what was going on in my brain as somebody that struggles with anxiety. Um, But I really do want to focus today mostly on the parent and giving them skills and tools um, to help their kids through it because that's kind of our calling is to be able to just help them walk through these really hard things. So um, why don't you start by talking about the biology of anxiety, panic attacks, just so that listeners can have an understanding as to what's going on in the brain. Okay. So, um, I find this super fascinating. I could just, you know, because I find the brain super fascinating. But <clears throat> what happens in our brain whenever we experience anxiety is there is a little um, piece of our brain that's about the size of an almond. Um, and I always point to the back of my head because it is towards the back of our brain. Um, and it's called the amygdala. And that is the um, area of our brain that um, helps helps us back in the days whenever we had to run away from like lions and bears and tigers and stuff. Um, that's where the fight or flight, um, we say it fight, flight or freeze actually, um, is kind of managed in that part of the brain. And so what happens is it gets a signal that, Oh, this is a scary situation or something has triggered it. And, um, it, says, okay, this is an emergency. So we're going to dump a bunch of chemicals into, into your system, which can be cortisol and adrenaline and all these chemicals into your system so that you can run like heck and get away from the bear or whatever. Um, but you know, most of us are not around a lot of bears or need, (laughs) (laughs) need to flight a lot of times. So, um, or fight. And so a lot of times we get this big dump of chemicals and then, we have no, we have no reason for it. And so we've just, it feels horrible, you know? And so, um, one of my, one of my clients, um, described it as, you know, that feeling whenever you're about to run down the court, you know, when you're playing basketball, he's like, it's like that, but I can't run. Like Mm. I'm total. And so you've got all this like pent up feelings and, and, stuff, but you have no place to put it, you know? And so, um, so the body has to get rid of it. And so we have like a panic attack because our body is like, okay, we're supposed to be fighting or flighting right now. And we're sitting in class, (laughs) you know, or we're, you know, driving or whatever, um, has triggered it. Now, is it, is it always some kind of fear trigger? Like, obviously, I mean, we're not running into bears. That's not the, but you know, I, I think about, 
um, you know, how the, the scriptures and how that idea that, you know, believing lies or, or whatever, when those are thrown at us, that's the trigger for us and it incites Mm -hmm. fear. And so that kind of can trigger the panic attack. So it's so neat how like the brain is wired. I mean, everybody always thinks science and scripture, you know, don't are opposed are opposed and they're so not like (laughs) just looking at the way the brain like god made the brain it's just incredible um so and and the child might not even realize that they are have been triggered or in a fearful because i remember being a kid i would get panic attacks and i wouldn't even know why i was getting them Mm -hmm. so and that's that i mean you bring up a really good point because we don't always know what triggers it, you know, I mean, and the the that part of the brain, if you have anxiety is just overactive. So it's almost like on a on a hair trigger, you know, where anything, you know, can hit that button and then you've just gotten a big old dump of chemicals into your system. And, you know, for me growing up, the only anxiety I really ever experienced was maybe performance anxiety, but also um, test anxiety, which I think is kind of together. Same. But yeah. Um, and it was just so frustrating because what I would experience the physical you know, feeling that you get when you get the chemical dump from the amygdala and it can be stomach upset. It can be racing heart. It can be your hands get, you know, your hands get sweaty, gross, um, or you feel like you can't catch your breath. And, and so, um, and the minute a test paper would get laid on my desk, I would get that feeling, right? you know, and my brain would totally go blank. I couldn't remember anything, but that's also part of the biology of our brain is that all the energy has gone back to that amygdala so that you can fight or flight. So your brain doesn't need to work so much. You know, the processing part of your brain doesn't need to work so much during those. So it's very, whenever I talk to people that get like test anxiety, they're like, I cannot think of anything. I've studied, this was me, I studied knew that stuff, could quote it to you 10 minutes ago, but just because this test is sitting on my desk, I now am completely blank and have no idea one thing what I studied. Um, So that is also part of the biology that happens. But when this really gets frustrating is that we, when we get that feel, the feeling, the physical feelings that you get with anxiety, when the chemical dump happens, is they're scary feelings, yeah. you know? So you feel like, like I just said, you can't catch your breath, like you're gonna throw up, like your um, head might hurt, your palms are sweating, you know? And so a lot of people then have anxiety about the anxiety Oh, 100%. <laughs> yes. I started thinking about, like, I just remember, mine was, I would always feel sick, like mm-hmm. I was gonna throw up. And then I got really, so I would feel like that, and I was petrified of, especially like of that happening in public. Yeah. And so then I would get anxiety about my anxiety because, oh my gosh, I'm going to be sick in front of all these people. And then I don't want to be sick in front. Of, and so, yeah, it's like this perpetual cycle. Now, um, I have, you know, I like to say I've had anxiety for like before it was a thing to have anxiety <laughs> these yeah. days. I feel like everybody, everybody does. has it on some level. But I do feel like um, that as I've grown, you know, in my relationship with Christ and my identity and my security as his kid, that definitely has helped 
my anxiety. It doesn't mean that I don't have it. It doesn't mean that I don't get panic attacks, but mm-hmm. I don't know. I'm just, and then I'm sure also just being older, I'm able to manage them a little bit better. Um, I guess what I want to ask is how does or how could someone's faith play a role in all of this biology? Does that make mm-hmm. sense? Yeah, sure. So, um, Whenever, you know, whenever we experience a panic attack or whatever, um, one of the, so that we don't have anxiety about the anxiety, piling on the anxiety, on the anxiety, and then, you know, that can last a very, very, very long period of time. But what we've also learned, and I'm, I'm going to get to that yes. part, this is, I'm, I'm setting it up. Uh-huh. Um, what also, ha- what we've also learned is that with anxiety if we don't keep re-triggering that amygdala which is the anxiety on anxiety then those chemicals will dissipate in our system in about 15 minutes and so i've had clients set timers <laughs> um so <laughs> and i know so i know that this is this is actually a true thing because we've we've worked we watched it but um so during, what do we do during that 15 minutes, yes. you know, so that we don't re-trigger that, um, that amygdala. Um, so that's just a fun word to say. I do like <laughs> amygdala. That is a great word. But anyway, so um, with that, if we start to feel the physical feelings of, oh gosh, I feel like I'm going to be sick and I'm sitting in class and I don't want to throw up in front of all my friends. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. What if that happens? You know, and then it just kind of snowballs. So what we do instead is the minute that we feel those um, signals within our body, what everybody experiences a little bit different, but whether it's the, the stomach or the racing heart or whatever, the minute that we realize that we're having that physical response is if we could just grab onto that and realize what it is and go, Oh, okay. This is just my anxiety. Let's call it what it is. If I don't retrigger that, I'm going to be okay in about 15 minutes. So Mm -hmm. I'm going to be uncomfortable for the next 15 minutes. So what do we do during that 15 minutes? And so this is really where I like to, you know, um, think about scripture and, and what, what, does the Bible say about um, when we're when we're experiencing hard times? And I always tend to go to though I walk through the valley of the shadow of the death, I will fear no evil because He is with me. Yeah. And so, um, so in that 15 minutes, just knowing that okay, I'm gonna feel bad, I'm gonna feel uncomfortable, but God's right here with me yeah. during it all, not you know? by your own, right? Yep. And so I'm not doing this on my own strength. I am, you know claiming on the promise that he said he was going to be here, you know, absolutely. (laughs) And so sometimes whenever you do that, or I'll even have clients, um, keep an anxiety journal. And, um, as they're going through scripture, if they find a verse that really speaks to them and speaks to their anxiety, write it down. You know, I mean, if you can commit it to memory, even better, because then you don't have to have your journal with you, but you know, have those things written down. So during that 15 minutes, if you're like, Oh, this is a biggie, this is a bad one. I literally cannot think about anything else, but I don't want to re-trigger that amygdala. So open up that journal and start looking at those Bible verses that give you the strength and the courage and the, to know, okay, I do feel bad right now, but 
it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. Yeah. Mine is Isaiah 41.10. Do not fear for I am with you. Do not be dismayed for I am your God. I will strengthen you and uphold you with my righteous right hand. And I think any of those scriptures about just presence, God's presence Mm -hmm. and being with you and you're not alone, like, especially for a child that's like their most intrinsic, like their, their safety and their security that even though they feel bad right now, that they're safe and they're secure. Um, so because it is all about not, you know, not re-triggering mm-hmm. that amygdala, you know, and, and really just trying to stay, um, I guess lack of a better way to say it, stay calm mm-hmm. <laughs> for, for 15 minutes. Um, let's talk about what is the parent's role in this? Because, you know, all we see, I imagine, I'm trying to put myself in my mom's shoes here because, like I said, my kids don't struggle with anxiety, but I was a mess. <laughs> and so all we see is, you know, this kid who they can't breathe. They're saying they're going to be sick. They don't feel that's our baby. Like, we don't want anything bad to happen to them. So I think a lot of what our natural instinct is to um, do their process for them. Mm-hmm. Um, that's not actually, you actually taught me that's not very helpful. <laughs> so. Yes, it's actually um, counterproductive in a way. And so, you know, Alicia and I've talked about that, you know, I've got four kids. And so, you know, my mama hurt, heart hurts whenever I see my kids struggling or I see them hurting. And so obviously I want to be telling them, oh, you're going to be okay. You're going to be fine. This is, you know, whatever. And that's almost counterproductive because what we want the kids to be able to do is to learn that, okay, like I'm not feeling okay right now. And but that's okay because I will be feeling okay. And is it counterproductive because it's minimizing what they're experiencing? You're not validating their feelings. Gotcha. And so it's really better to go, I can see that you're really struggling right now. Like I, and I'm right here with you. Maybe if you know some of those verses, you can, you can quote them with them or, you know, and be there with them and be their cheerleader in that. Like, you know, we're going to get through this. We're going to get through it. So, but not the, you know, I I have some, you know, the, you'll be fine or yes. you always are okay. Or, um, you don't have anything to worry about or, you know, I used to get so mad when my mom or dad or whoever would say that to me, because <laughs> I'm like, you don't understand. <laughs> <laughs> yes. It was very like, <clears throat> they tried all, <clears throat> excuse me, um, different approaches Mm because like I said they just didn't know what to do there wasn't a lot of this information back then (laughs) Um, but uh yeah right (laughs) um but thinking back and listening to what you're saying the times that I was able to work through it the best were times where my parents just offered their presence Mm -hmm. to me and just comforted me um you know, helped me breathe, like just all those things, whenever they would throw the, oh, you know, you, this happens all the time. You never get sick, Bob. Like, I agree. It was just not very helpful. And so it's really much more, um, productive, I guess, to just validate their feelings, you Mm -hmm. know, just about, and let them feel them, let them feel the feelings, you know, um, without, you know, 
telling them you're, you're, you're fine, you know, cause that, that is not helpful, but also we want them to start to internalize, um, some of these coping mechanisms too, because we're not with them 24 seven. We're not going to be there to tell them you're okay, yes. you know, or whatever. And yep. so we need them to be able to go, um, even if they're at school, you know, or even, you know, if they're at a friend's house or something to be able to go, okay, I know what this is. This is my anxiety. Let me just get to a quiet spot or maybe even being distracted by my friends or whatever. But I just know I'm just going to feel bad for these 15 minutes. But what I've learned because I've dealt with this my entire life is that, you know, if I don't, Retrigger it, I'm going to be okay. Yeah. And I think, too, it just, it really, again, speaking from my own experience, because I very much depended on my mom to help get through. And so, it, in in a sense, it almost cripples our kids if instead of, like, instead of helping them internalize and and work through their own process, instead, if we try to be their process for them. Because I remember, like, I didn't... I only wanted to be around adults and I would not go far from any, I wouldn't go anywhere or at least I was scared to go anywhere where I didn't feel like there was an adult that I could, I guess, latch on to in case I had an attack that they would help me through the process. And so it was like I became so dependent on the adult now obviously the adult is there to comfort and you know right but i guess what i'm saying is early on i didn't have my own tools Mm -hmm. um so well and i think that you know you brought up a good point like i'm not saying don't comfort your child right (laughs) that's not (laughs) what we're saying at all no 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 um i mean there can be something very comforting just about a big old mom hug you know but um but just the messages that we're given um that validates their feelings along the way as well um and teaches them to be able to tolerate those big feelings you know um what what i think uh, we're seeing a lot more anxiety um or or people coming into the office wanting you know presenting that they that they have anxiety and a lot of it is kids and so um i've had a lot of conversations with a lot of colleagues about like why the big upswing why are we seeing so much of this in in our offices and um i think there's multi multiple things going on i think we're just more aware of of what what we're seeing but also um you know our kids are growing up in this instant gratification culture where they don't have to be uncomfortable a whole lot for anything, you know? And so, um, you know, they've got the internet. So if they're struggling with a homework project, they can find a YouTube on it or they can find, um, quickly the answer or whatever. And so they don't really have to struggle for anything. And so sometimes they've just never been taught that feelings may just be feelings, you know, and it's okay. Like it's okay to be uncomfortable sometimes, you know? And so, um, and just being able to learn to tolerate that uncomfortableness, um, is part of the training for how do we deal with anxiety is just learning to tolerate that we're going to be uncomfortable sometimes. And that's really okay. It's okay for us to experience some uncomfortable, um, 
things. And um, that doesn't mean that there's something horribly wrong with you or that, that you know, this is going to last forever. Yeah. You know, it's a it's a time limited thing. And and, you know, if you will just realize that that's part of the that's part of the being able to be uncomfortable with the feeling the 15 minutes or whatever just because okay you know like whenever you worked out and you haven't worked out in a long time you know tomorrow you're gonna be sore yeah <laughs> you know yeah, yeah and so it's kind of the same thing like if you have anxiety you know that you're gonna experience some uncomfortable times you know and I tell all my clients you know even on medication if that's the route that you choose to go even on medication you're going to, you never get away from anxiety. We, yeah. we talk about with some of my clients that this may be your thorn in, thorn in the flesh, you mm-hmm. know, that um, this may be the thing that draws you closer to Christ, even, you know, that if you had it all together and never had to lean on him for anything, then, you know, he's that's a, the bigger issue right there. There yeah. you go. Yeah, yeah exactly. Uh-huh. And so um, maybe that's, it's a, weird positive spin on having anxiety is that, you know, maybe God is using this to draw you close to him to realize that, you know, he is with you through everything, even the hard stuff. Yeah. It's kind of like Paul's thorn in his yeah, side. Yeah, that's exactly yes, what I that's right. <laughs> totally what it is. So I want to get like real practical for a second, because again, we're talking about this 15 minutes and just helping our kids um, not re-trigger that amygdala um, you know, being present with them and just helping them internalize their process. So we kind of talked, you know, you had mentioned the, the anxiety journal and what are some other like practical either, you know, things that parents can do or not do? <laughs> Cause sometimes it's that, mm-hmm. um, to help to help their kids that struggle with anxiety. Okay. So some of it, you know, the reason that I have a lot of my clients keep a journal, um, and, and for my little guys, it may be their parents, you know, or, or teachers, even, um, if you've got really good teachers that'll, um, work with you on some of that. But, um, sometimes, um, I, I don't know if anybody's been in my office, but I have fidgets for kids all the time, like fidget spinners, um, squeezy balls, yeah. like all that kind of stuff. I, I always have those in my work bag. So don't worry, no matter where I'm at, they can have something to do. Sometimes that's just um, distraction, yeah. you know? And so um, I had a kid that um, she had anxiety, but it triggered like some trick. Uh, trichotillomania where that she was pulling all of her eyelashes out uh-huh. all of her eyebrows all you know and just pulling hair whenever she would get anxious so um what we did with her was um found her some fidgets that her teacher was okay with um and she just had them on the desk you know and so if she had the tendency to want to um if she was getting anxious rather than going for the eyebrows or the right. eyelashes she would get her little fidget Fidgets. out and, and fidget with her finger. Mm-hmm. So, um, what that di- does also is distract your brain yeah. so that you're distracted for that 15 minutes. And all of a sudden the 15 minutes are over that the anxiety attack is passed and, Oh, I feel okay. Yeah. You know? Um, or if you're, you know, I've got clients of mine that are, um, super artistic, you mm-hmm. know? And so, um, I tell parents, you know, what if you just had a little, 
you know, um, art kit or whatever. And so whenever they're trying to sit with the uncomfortableness for the 15 minutes, um, if they were able to pull out their stuff and draw, um, or color or. So it really is just ultimately whatever it is about distracting the brain Mm -hmm. for those 15 minutes. Right. I mean, you, yeah, distracting the brain just, it it really is about trying to make that 15 minutes manageable or bearable, you know? So, um, whatever that is, I mean, going for a walk, you know, like my, uh, some of my adult clients, I'm, and you can do this with kids as well. It's like, set the timer and go for a walk, you know, just to get some vitamin D and some fresh air. And so I'll have clients of mine that are at work and they're just like, okay, taking, you know, in quotes, a smoke break, but they're not smoking. They're walk, they're going outside yeah. and just walking for their 15 minutes. Is there a way to tell like, you know, because I mean, when you, I remember when I first listened to you and you were talking about how it comes in waves and that is that re-triggering of that part of the brain. Um, I was like, yes. Oh <laughs> my gosh. Cause my it's brain. like, I would like, you know, like you said, that huge wave of adrenaline and hormone and all that kind of stuff. And it would be bad. But like, if I could just, I don't know, hang on long enough and then it would, it would kind of go away, but then another wave would come. And so then it would feel like I was starting all over again as a parent. Like, is there a, is, I guess, is there a way to, to notice that that's kind of just like, okay, we're still in this process. Clearly it was re-triggered again. Mm-hmm. So um, knowing your kid a lot, yeah. I mean, when you're dealing with your littles, it's just no, like, I've got some of my parents that have just gotten so good at knowing their kid that, you know, they, they can just read them. They know what's coming, you yeah. know, and so they're just like, ready to you know okay uh-huh. like let's let's distract maybe we can distract before the full-on panic attack happens you yeah. know and so some of the you know some of that's just knowing your kid which is why i say sometimes my adults uh, or my parents will keep the journal and just watch for triggers like it seems like every time they're in the situation we have a panic attack or every time you know um they're around this person or every time you know, we go to a certain place. So just knowing what some of those triggers may be for, for your child, um, sometimes we can even kind of pre-process, you know, just go, Hey, you know, like we're, we're going to be going to aunt John, you know, aunt Sue's house. Mm -hmm. And, um, I know the last time we were there, that was, that was a um, difficult situation. So let's just put some safety you know, safety barriers in place. Um, I had a client that just anytime she's around big groups, Mm -hmm. like she'll, she'll kind of, you know, it's really like very strong social anxiety and they were going to a family wedding. Um, and so before they went, um, mom and and child and I just sat down and like, let's just talk about what this is going to look like, Mm -hmm. you know, just because for her knowing what that was going to look like, knowing what the plan was, knowing if she did have an anxiety attack, this is how we were going to handle it, even yeah. if there's lots of people around. So just having kind of a plan of attack for the child with anxiety even was just like, oh, I'll know what to do in every single situation yeah. there. Yeah. And she did beautifully. Yeah. Like we were all like, yay, big, uh-huh. big um, thing. But also, um, I love doing like little rewards, even, you know, for... Um, you know, if there is like 
a panic attack and just like knowing that they sat there and they really did, um, they were able to, to deal with the comfort, the discomfort, yeah. you know, just being able to grasp onto it and just going, okay, I know I'm going to be uncomfortable, but I, but on the other side of it, um, wow, you know, you, you handled that like a champ, yeah. you know, and yeah. then just having like a little, you know, just like a little something, you know, because part of anxiety and dealing with that part of the brain and the amygdala and stuff is that we truly can rewire that a bit or train the amygdala to not think that everything that every signal that it gets is a crisis, you know, and the more that we practice that and the more that you, you know, that it's kind of that reward, you know, Mm -hmm. good behavior, get a reward, good behavior, get a reward. It's almost like we're rewarding that to the brain. And so that it goes, oh, the next time this happens, this isn't a crisis. I've been here before, done this. I'm good, you know, and we don't even trigger the amygdala. So it's almost like muscle memory. The more that we practice it, the more that we conquer it every, you know, conquer it by sitting with the discomfort um, and realizing that we get to the other side and we really are okay. um, Then it it, it like builds a thicker skin almost, if you will, you know, to where it doesn't just the tiniest thing sets it off. It's it's more um, able uh, to realize what is, what's a true crisis and what's just really not and yeah. no reason to dump a bunch of chemicals. Right. This kid obviously doesn't need yeah. a system right now. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So as we wrap up and kind of land the plane, because I mean, we could keep going for hours on this topic. Um, it really is hard to watch in our babies. Um, is there anything that you just feel like is so important for parents not to do when it comes with dealing with the child with anxiety. Yeah. So um, definitely just to reiterate what we talked about earlier is um, not reassuring an anxious child, you know, um, and that's our number one thing that we want to do as mamas. When, Like I said, when we see our babies hurting is we want to, you're going to be fine. You're going to be okay. Um, so, but what we've also talked about is that doesn't validate really what's going on with them because they think, no, they're not. They're dying, you know? Yes. <laughs> and so um, being able to validate that they're not feeling, they're not feeling it and um, sitting there with them, helping them tolerate those big feelings um, and that, that, you know, okay, we've been here and we've done this before. Remember if we will just, you know, hold on to these feelings, grab hold of them, you know, fight the dragon or whatever, then, um, at the end of it, you're going to, you will feel better, you know? And I know some parents get tripped up on that because they're like, isn't that reassuring? It's reminding. It's basically reminding versus reassuring. And I do think in some sense, like you are reassuring them, right? but it's using different methods and different language because right. your presence and you being in it with them and validating their feelings and all of those things that is reassuring to them. It's just different language. Right. That makes so much sense. Yes, exactly. And then, um, you know, just being a cheerleader for them. I even, as my clients have started to, um, show some improvement and they've gotten some practice in, um, had a panic attack and held on to it. Do they get excited? Well, that's what I was just going to say. Then I'll even challenge them like, Oh, so how do you think we could work on this even more this week? Like, and, and almost challenging them to try to get them Uh 
to have an anxiety attack <laughs> on this, you know, like, and so, and it works because wow. they're like, they're not scared of it anymore, you know, and they're like, oh, well, I think that I could go do such an, you know, for different people, it's different, you know, but I think I could go do this. Um, and I'm like, okay, that's your homework for this week. Let's see if we can do it. And then they come back in and they're like, miss, look what I did. You know, uh-huh. I, I was able to do it. I, I have a, I have a college student of mine that is, um, a client that, um, oh, poor guy has just struggled with severe anxiety his whole life. And um, he texted me in the middle of the week and he goes, I just need to tell you, (laughs) I did my 15 minutes and I just sat with the discomfort and I am fine and I'm good. I was like, yay, good way to go. And so with my little guys, I'll be like, yay, like, you know, that, that deserves a prize, you know? And so they'll get like a little prize or like a piece of candy or yeah. something little, but, um, but it just gets them, it, it removes the big, ugly monster, removes the bear that anxiety yes. can be. And just like, Oh, I know what this is. And I'm just gonna, you know, with my soccer players, I'm just like, imagine your soccer ball with, you know, with anxiety written across it. And I just want you to take a big old kick at it and knock it into the corner of the goal, you yeah. know? And, um, they're like, oh, I can do that, you know? And mm-hmm. so they, it's just visualizing that it's not just this big, um, you know, mountain that I can't get over. Yeah. It really is this thing, just my brain kind of like messing with me a yeah. little bit, you know, but, and I can deal with it, yeah. you know, and I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm even going to challenge it I'm yeah. even, and then I'm going to kick the snot out of it and yeah. kick it into the goal. And so. That's awesome. Yeah. Awesome. Well, Sarah, thank you so much for being here today. We really appreciate your time and wisdom. And I just know that God is doing like really great things through um, your practice slash ministry. (laughs) So thanks for being here. Um, Thanks for having me. Okay, so we are back to that part in the episode where at the end of every episode, we do what's called Counselor's Corner. And it's kind of our own Dear Abby version of, you know, our listeners being able to curl up on a counselor's couch and talk to them about whatever they have. So the listeners write in. And so George writes, "Um, I'm concerned as my college son seems to be shut down and a bit isolated when he comes home from school. I'm not sure if he is depressed or not, but just doesn't seem himself. I ask him if anything is wrong, and he says no. As his father, what should I do when I feel like something is wrong, but I can't seem to get my son to talk? I can identify with this question on some level in that, like, boys don't talk. Like, they are the worst. (laughs) I can't, I mean, I worry about my oldest all the time because he just... I mean, he just doesn't talk about anything. Mm -hmm. And so I'm like, I can get nothing out of him. And then, like moms at school will tell me all this stuff and drama that's going on with the boys and I know nothing because he doesn't talk. So go. I want to hear the answer to this. So I have four kids and um, so they run the gamut of talking to not talking. So I, I have one, our oldest, man, she sounds like your oldest where she just does not she is not forthcoming with the information. Then the one right under her, like, you can't get girls Tells shut you up. More. <laughs> you cannot get her to shut up. Like, when she was in high school, she would come in. She was involved in tons of stuff. And so she would get in late We where we were already, like, kind of shut down for the mm-hmm. night, sitting in the bed and watching TV. And she would come down. She would come in our room, sit in the armchair. 
and give us the data download for the day. And oh, I mean man. the play by play. <laughs> so, um, so, and then the other two are somewhere in the middle of right. those two, you know. Yes. Um, but so many times I think um, it's just connecting with your kids on any level, mm-hmm. you know. I mean, if they've been at school, I remember whenever I was in college, all I wanted to do whenever I got home was go in my own bed, shut the door, and like sleep, you mm-hmm. know, and just enjoy not being around a hundred other college students, you yeah. know, or all this stuff. And so, um, so there, first of all, there may not be anything wrong. Right. It may just be that they're, um, you know, they've, had sensory overload for a couple weeks and now they're home and they really just don't want to talk to anybody. Yes. You know, so let me just say that that's actually really normal. Um, so first of all, but if you, if it just seems like it's beyond that, mm-hmm. um, I, I really think that so many kids, um, have a hard time doing the face-to-face conversation. I, I, my husband and I went to Lit Pizza last night and I was watching a, a dad and his teenage daughter try to have a conversation. Oh no. <laughs> and my, I was just like, it was painfully, <laughs> painful to watch, yeah. you know? And it was just like, I felt for both of them and I almost just wanted to pull up a chair and like, go, okay, let's, let's do some conversations, <laughs> some conversation starters. Um, but anyway, with that, um, I think don't overthink it, you know, like go, you know, I don't know where our listeners are, but I mean, I take them to the lakefront and just go for a walk, you know, or take the dog and, and go for a walk. Or my daughter and I love to go, um, you know, get our toes done and go shopping, you know, and just whenever we're sitting there having a coffee, um, because I'm not like interface going, so what about this? And what about this? And asking a hundred questions because that's annoying. Um, she just comes out with a bunch of it. And, and this is the one that doesn't talk a whole lot, you know. Um, she'll just be like, oh, you know, the other day, you know. But I think so many parents just overthink it. Yeah. That they feel like, okay, something's wrong. And I have to have these big, heavy, hard conversations. And, and I almost like want to remove that pressure yeah. and just say, go hang out with your kid. You know, if, um, you know, my son and I would go out and throw the football back and forth, you know, that, that was something that we both enjoyed doing. And as we're doing that, I get information that I wouldn't necessarily digging digging for, you know, or, um, you know, he, he was one of the ones that would watch, um, you know, the NBA finals with me, um, and the girls didn't want to. And so, um, but because he did, then whenever it was like halftime, I was like, let's run to Starbucks. And he's like, sweet. And so, um, you know, just those little pieces of time where it's just like one-on-one and they've got kind of my undivided attention, but I'm not really digging very Focused hard. on that. Yes. Right. So it's just, if I'm understanding you correctly, just finding points of connection and or conversation that have nothing to do with like them being worried about like those deep right tell me your feelings kind of conversation those never seem to go really well because they're just like i'm fine i'm fine yeah yeah and so if you can just find some connection points just knowing your kid knowing what they like to do if it's going for a walk you know um you can you can you know, throw some of those questions in there as you're doing that. But I feel like if you're just giving them the 20 question, like 
tell me, tell me your whole life, you're not, you, it's going to be frustrating yeah. and you're not going to get what you want. But if you're just, um, you know, chilling out and connecting with them, mm-hmm. um, then it's a lot easier to go. So tell me about your roommate or like, how's that, how's yeah. that been? And then, then you get like the download on, oh, they're horrible yeah. or they're great or whatever, yeah. you know? Um, so I think just like you said, find connection points, do those things, be available to them, um, you know, and not be so busy yourself. Um, put the, t- put the cell phones away yes. to a certain, you know, you know, that's one <laughs> of my biggies. So, oh, I think that's everybody's biggie. One day we're going to wake up and realize this was a bad idea. <laughs> and so just putting those away and really connecting, yeah. um, then you're going to get the information you need. And if it is deeper, then, you know, reach out to you guys and get the resources yes. to, to be able to connect them, um, with like my kid that's actually away at college right now. Um, He's in Baton Rouge, so I don't see. I actually see him over the computer, and yeah. he's fine with that. Yeah. And and so it's great. So the resources are out there um, if that's needed, but most times it's not. It really is just about connecting. Yeah, that's good stuff. Thank you so much for joining us on No Heart Left Behind's Hope in the Heart of Family Life podcast. We hope you felt seen, encouraged, and just a little more equipped to love your family well. If you want to learn more about No Heart Left Behind, be sure to check out our website, www.noheartleftbehind.com, or visit the link in the show notes. If you love the podcast, we would love it if you would follow us on your favorite podcast player. And if you love this episode, please share it with a friend. Your encouragement is not just for our egos. It really helps others find the show and encourages them to check it out. Mother Teresa said, if you want to change the world, go home and love your family. So until we see you again next week, go home and be a world changer.